Um, we, are, we are going through our core beliefs. This is week 10 of our core beliefs. We've talked about beliefs about God and then about man and then about the church. And, and now we're in the home stretch talking about core beliefs about the kingdom of God. And there's a lot to say about the kingdom of God. And I thought, well, I have two options. I can preach an hour and a half message this morning. Or I can start with a Bible project video and that'll get us down the road. So, Amy, let's do that. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. 
Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Wasn't that good? That's a wonderful, wonderful resource, you guys. If you haven't checked out more of the Bible Project videos, I, want, I think it's some of the best teaching, best Bible teaching I've ever seen. Very deep and just beautifully, beautifully done. The, the gospel of the kingdom is the only hope for mankind. That is core belief number 10. It's the only hope for mankind. And I, I think it's important to put it in context of the kingdom because many times when we've thought about the gospel, the thing that has been taught is more like the gospel of salvation. Like, like uh, uh, the, the, you know, ask Jesus into your heart so you can go to heaven. That's different, though, than what Jesus talked about. The, the gospel of the kingdom is that heaven is coming to earth. That a new king has arrived. His name is Jesus. And he's going to make all things new. What do you say? You in? That's the message of the kingdom. That is the gospel of salvation. Now, we, we can look at the story of Scripture through various lenses. And, and oftentimes, the, the lens we look through is sort of that personal redemption lens. So, I have my other glasses. Joe, the intern, is going to be watching very close here. This, uh, these are my reading glasses. I wish that I could uh, wear these all the time because I think I look very scholarly in them. And I can, I mean, everything is just so crystal clear here. I feel like when I read a book, everything's just like, ah, you know, it feels so good on the eyes and I can see all the things that are close to me, just crystal clear. And, and, and it, it's sort of like looking through that lens of, of personal redemption, you know? You can read scripture and you understand, oh, we're, we're created as sons and daughters, and, but we've all run astray. I've run astray, but I've been redeemed. Redeemed because, because the head of the household, our father, has redeemed me and pulled me back into the kinship circle, and now I can be restored, right? So that's like these ones. The problem is you guys all look funny. Like, you look kind of wavy, and the more I look out of here, the more I get, like, a little bit dizzy. I just can't wear these. I got to go to these. And these ones do much better because now I can see all of you. And it's, it's kind, of, kind of a relief. See, this is, this is the kingdom lens that it's actually not just about our personal salvation. It never was, really. We look at, at all of you guys and your redemption stories and everything else 
everything else. There, the scholar named Scott McKnight used this term when talking about the kingdom of God. Holistic redemption. Holistic redemption. So if, if our redemption is the head of the household bringing us back into the kinship circle, holistic redemption is, is everything that was lost is being brought back in, right? Not just me, not just my loved ones. It's, it, 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 it's people I've never met. And, and it's, it, it's all that's out there that was lost being brought back in. Reminds me of the, the there was a, a song the Beatles wrote called Helter Skelter that was tainted forever because Charles Manson, the, the notorious mass murderer, made it his sort of anthem. So nobody wanted to play that song anymore. But in 1989, the band U2 put out an album called Rattle and Hum, and they covered Helter Skelter. And right in the beginning, Bono said this, something to this, he said, this is a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles, and we're stealing it back. Mm. Every time I hear that, we're stealing it back. That's what we're talking about here. All the things that were taken away, we are bringing back holistic redemption. Now, back in the first century, people were waiting for a kingdom. I thought that video showed this really well of, of these, these prophetic words going out, that one day a king will come and he's going to restore everything, right? But people had different mindsets of what that kingdom actually was and actually looked like. You had... One, for example, that the Sadducees believed. Here was the, here was the Sadducees' vision of the kingdom. They, they were the aristocrats, and their version of the kingdom of God was compromise. Because there was already a great kingdom, and that was the kingdom of Rome. So if they wanted to thrive, what they needed to do was compromise in all the ways. And, and, and then they would have a favored place at the table. That was their kingdom vision. But of course, most people weren't like that. You had... Those were the aristocrats. Then you had the common man. You know who they were? The Pharisees. Pharisees were much more common people. Like, they, their vision of the kingdom was kind of a revivalist vision, actually. Did you know that? They were, we would probably, many of us gotten along quite well with, with Pharisees because they started out for really good purposes. They wanted people to read the scriptures and to follow them very, very well. And they thought that if they could do a good enough job at following the Torah then the kingdom of God would be established and the kingdom would come. It was, it was hinged on their, uh, on how well they could obey. But of course, that's way too tame a vision for some. You had many people that had a kingdom vision of a warrior king. That the kingdom of God would be established when the king came and when he picked up a sword and when he yelled like William Wallace. And they would all flock to him. This is what, there were groups called the Zealots. And, and, and one of them was one of Jesus' disciples, by the way. If you watch the, the uh, season two of The Chosen, there's an episode all about Simon the Zealot, which is fascinating. Zealots, they really thought the king was going to raise an army and they were going to be the army. And that is how God's kingdom would be established. But there was one other group that looked at all of these and said, you guys are crazy. These were the Essenes. They had a, a vision of withdrawal. Because they said, look, the kingdom of God's coming in judgment, and he's going to judge all y'all. <laughs> all you, you guys who are doing the Torah thing, thinking that's good enough, you guys who are compromising, you guys who are spilling blood, all y'all are going to get whacked when that kingdom of God comes. He's going he's to take you guys down, and we're going to be 
back here. So we're just going to go and we're going to follow the scriptures and we're going to pray in the desert while you guys get judged. All of them have different visions of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. So Jesus comes into that setting where he knows all these mindsets are there. And here's his message. Repent. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change the way you're thinking. Change the way you're oriented towards this vision because you guys are all wrong. The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is, is in your midst, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is, well, actually... Right, right here, at me, it's me. <laughs> you see that? It's not just like, oh, it's in your midst, like some, you know, weird vibe kind of thing. As you Gen Zers always like to talk about vibes. <laughs> Kingdom of God's like a vibe. No, it's not. It's like a king. See? So, here he is. I'm not making fun of Gen, why I'm making fun, but only because my daughter's in Gen, that's all, that's all. And she knows that I, I care for her. So, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Now, so what are they wrong about? Well, they're wrong about all kinds of things. First of all, they've missed the king himself, right? But also, they all kind of assume that the problem is a political problem. Like the first and foremost, the problem is that we have the wrong rulers. And, and that was not right. Jesus had bigger fish to fry. Now, was Rome a problem? Yes, Rome was a huge problem. Rome was a bigger problem than any governmental problem you and I will ever face. Let me just say that. This is a tyrannical empire, far more than anything we've had to look at. But they weren't the problem. Even then, they weren't the problem. The real problem was that, uh, according to Jesus, was the, the, the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus says this in John 12. He says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. The theologian Gregory Boyd says it this way. He sums this up. And this is very interesting. While Jesus and his followers, of course, believed that God was the ultimate Lord over all creation, they clearly viewed Satan as the functional Lord of the earth at the present time. Was, was Rome a problem? Yes, yes, yes. But, but Jesus did not come to bring down Rome. That was, that was too small a mission. And all those visions, of course, they, they left Jesus out. That was the biggest problem. So when he began his ministry, here's what he did. He walked into his home church, the synagogue at Nazareth. He walks in on the Sabbath, and he pulls a book of Isaiah off the shelf in the NIV, no, it was just a scroll, of course. He pulls it, and he re here's the passage he reads. He reads one of these prophetic passages about the coming king. The spirit of the Lord is, is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, as N.T. Wright describes he rolls up the scroll and he sits down and goes, oh, this begins today. <laughs> this begins right here in your midst. Yeah, this is fulfilled. Yep, B. Yep. He was, he was the, 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 the long-awaited king right there in their midst. And he began that right then announcing 
All of these things that he said he was going to do, all the things that are in that passage in Isaiah. For example, he announces good news to the poor. And we see his preaching over and over, elevating the poor. In fact, he began the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. He's always putting them first. He's always recognizing the tendency to be marginalized in all different societies and says, oh, in my kingdom, it's not like that. In fact, in my kingdom, the last will be first. So those who have been last on this earth will be first in my kingdom. That's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow even today. That was a tough pill for me to swallow for a long time. Like, oh, he has that much care for, for the downtrodden. That's how much, I mean, that's crazy. That's what he does, just like he said he would. He, he, he uh, gives recovery of sight to the blind. Acts of healing. And even as I was reading this, I was suddenly struck Man, there's a lot of blind people that get healed in the New Testament. There's a lot of blind people. And I think that was very intentional to tell those stories. Because that, that, that uh, fulfills just what Isaiah was talking about. It, recovery of sight to the blind. And then declaring uh, uh, freedom for the oppressed. And oppressed in all, all different ways, right? Those who are held captive to sin. People, people like Zacchaeus. The tax collector, who was, who was also a thief. And he was forgiven and given entrance to the kingdom of God. And people who are captive to shame. Think of that woman who had the issue of blood and touched, the, touched Jesus. He just touched his garment and she was healed. And you, you know what? Like, the significance of that is, is staggering. If she was bleeding for all that time, she would not have, have been given admittance into the religious community. And here, suddenly... With, with a touch of Jesus' garment, she's suddenly cleansed. See, freedom from shame, freedom from sin, and even freedom from demonic oppression. And we see that over and over again. Even a man possessed by legions of evil spirits, and Jesus, with a word, says, nope, no more, ah, gone. There's a new sheriff in town. You see that? The announcement of a new king who has authority over all. You guys, we are talking about holistic redemption. We're stealing it all back. And he also began to teach and preach about the kingdom of God. Now, this can be a complicated topic, you know? I mean, he, he told so many stories. His parables sometimes are, are, are really tricky and, and all the different analogies, but... He did it precisely because it's not obvious. You know, if the, if the zealot's vision of the kingdom was real, if Jesus had been coming as a warrior, that would have been super easy to call people to, you know? He would have just, as Tim Mackey says, he would have just grabbed an AK-47 and said, let's go, and everybody would have been like, we know what that means. Like, you don't need to describe the kingdom of God if that's what it is. But Jesus did not come as the warrior king. Jesus did not come to fight. And so in order to show and to explain what he's doing, he's got to give all of these different images, all of these different pictures. For example, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's not going to come as a big force. It's going to start very, very small, actually, tiny seed. And you're going to put it in the ground, and over time, it's going to grow. It's easy to underestimate. It's easy to think nothing's happening until suddenly you look out, and you've got this big tree, and you've got You've got it giving shade to all kinds of birds. 
In other words, it can be a blessing to many, many. But it does not come in force. It comes in, a, in a, 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 almost a secret, almost surprising kind of way. He says the kingdom of God is exceedingly valuable. He, he gives all of these images of, of this being the, the most precious thing a person could ever have. The kingdom of God, it moves from the, from the heart and outward. Therefore, you, you can't just clean the outside of a cup. You have to clean the heart and it moves outward. The kingdom of God brings miracles because it's God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is upside down where the last will be first. The kingdom of God is, the, is, is a reflection of heaven's culture. In fact, it says we must become like children to enter the kingdom of God. Now that's a very surprising thing for anyone to say, especially in that era. Because children were to be seen and not heard. Children didn't really become valuable until they were old enough to actually, you know, help, be adults. And otherwise, they were looked on as kind of, you know, a nuisance getting in the way. But Jesus has become like little children in all you are. The faith of a child, the joy of a child, that is, is uh, theirs is the kingdom. So he gives all of these glimpses of the kingdom of God, and it's an affront to people, and it's very surprising, and it's hard for some to accept. So many leave. Many just can't handle it. But Jesus keeps preaching and giving us this vivid picture of what it looks like. So here we are today, 2,000 years later, fast forward, and we have a lot of visions of what the kingdom is going to be like today because we are waiting. Jesus came and established his kingdom, and we are waiting for him to return to complete that work. This would have been a great Sunday to start Advent, but we don't start for another two weeks. Because that's what Advent looks at, right? The longing of, of people in exile waiting for the return. And that's what we're doing. We're waiting for him to come complete it. Now, in the meantime, people have different visions of how this should look, just like they did back, back in the day. People have their own kingdom visions. There's all kinds of them. You've got social justice ideas where if you could just you could just raise up these people in the right way, then bam, then kingdom, that's like the kingdom of God is, is, is the, the, the fulfillment of, of different, uh, various social justice causes. Or you've got like uh, uh, ones that, that end up uh, uh, taking, uh, ma making political goals as the ultimate game. Where if you get th this person in office to say this people to give us favorable things, you've got, in other words, you've got all different competing visions of what the kingdom of God is. But at the end of the day, honestly, guys, I think most of them just end up with the king without a kingdom again. Or excuse me, a kingdom without the king. We are not uh, called to, to create just some kind of cool social order where everything looks right. Otherwise, we end up like the Pharisees. Otherwise, we end up just the same place where these guys were. Of, we got everything looking exactly right, but our hearts aren't right. And we don't have the king so we're facing some of, that same, some of that same stuff. We have different visions of the kingdom of God. So how are we supposed to live then in the kingdom of heaven? How, how has God called us to live? I think it begins, well, in Matthew 6 when Jesus teaches us how to pray. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
on earth as it is in heaven. What's in heaven? That's what we want here. What's in heaven? Health is in heaven. So we pray for health. We should have no, no qualms about praying for healing. Jesus healed. In heaven there's not sickness, so we pray for that. We pray obviously with an understanding that it doesn't always come. Uh, there's still going to be sickness. There's still going to be disease. But we are breaking through. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. You guys remember in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? When, when the white witch has ruled for, for centuries and it's, all, it's been always winter, never Christmas. You remember this? She's ruled and everybody just thinks it's going to be this way forever until, until all of a sudden she's got her, her, her sled and she's got Edmund in the back and they're, they're cruising along and all of a sudden they hit, they hit grass, they hit green and she starts freaking out and she looks around and it's starting to melt. It's starting to melt and you see and you just get chills because you realize Aslan's on the move, that the beginning of the end has come because the king is there. That's the way this is. When we see healing, when we see miracles, when we see breakthrough, that's because the hold of the white witch is loosening. And the, the day of our full redemption is drawing near. So we pray for miracles because he's a God of miracles. We also have other things. What else isn't in heaven? You know what else isn't in heaven? Endless arguing on social media. <laughs> it's not in heaven. It's true. It's not in heaven. So, so you know what is in heaven? Forgiveness kindness. I, I, I have a hard time seeing any people who had a big squabble on earth that are now in heaven that are still arguing. They're probably like, what, what was that disagreement we had? I don't even know. I don't even know. What if full redemption, full redemption came in our social media interactions? How would that look? <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's a place I'd probably want to go. I think you'd want to go too. That would be incredible. The kingdom of heaven has, has peace and joy. Heaven is full of joy. Heaven's full, uh, full of goodness. It's full of encouragement. We pray those things down and we work for those ends so to, to produce that here on earth as it is in heaven. If it's in heaven, that's what we want here. Jesus tells us, you are my witnesses. You are, in other words, my representatives. Jesus is the picture of the kingdom. Jesus is kingdom culture. And as E. Stanley Jones, <laughs> he had this quote, <clears throat> the kingdom of God is Christ-likeness universalized. It's Christ-likeness that spreads. That spreads. And he's called us to spread the kingdom, to rebuild the broken places, and to love like Jesus. See, just like when Jesus opened up that scroll in Isaiah 61, and he talked about all those broken places, and he was there to renew them. He was there to rebuild the ancient ruins. He was there to recover sight to the blind. Everywhere something was robbed, he's there to renew it. He's there to, to, to bring it back. That's what we're called to do as well. In other words, it's not just a spiritual mission that he's called us to. And it's not just something that's initiated in, 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 well, in a place like this, from, from a pulpit or from a stage. 
Each and every one of us has contact with all kinds of different places of brokenness, of all kinds of, of, of people who are going through difficult times. And Jesus loves those people and has solutions. And many times we carry some of those solutions. Can I give you an example? You know that my wife and I, we're, we're part of a special needs family. And, and early on, we had all of these things going on. We had the distant, depressed dad. We had a mom who was in survival mode for months and months and kind of shut down her emotions. We've got kids who were very overlooked and depressed in their own right. We had all of these things going on. And you know what we, we found out as we, as we came out of that long, <laughs> dark season? You know what we found out? We look like so many other families that are going through this stuff. We're like, oh, we recognize this. Oh, we actually have something to offer here because we've been through it and we've come through it on the other side. So because of that, we wound up in a place where we just never expected before of people asking us to minister to them, or asking us to speak into this realm. And you know what? This had almost nothing to do with our formal vocation as pastors at Christ Center. It just became a thing that as, as we gained hope, other people were wanting it too. So now that, that is a place, that is, that is a, a sphere where we have hope to offer others that maybe you don't have that same kind of hope in those, in those situations. But guess what? You have contact with all kinds of things that I don't. You've had experiences. You've had breakthroughs. You have had joys. You have things in your story. You have places the Lord has met you in and, and beautiful ways that he's spoken to you. In other words, you see things I don't see. You see things Joshua doesn't see. You see things only you see. And you need to understand this, friends. You have more authority than you think. You are a representative of the Savior of mankind. You have authority. It, think of it this way. You're an ambassador. And where two or three are gathered... There, that's his ground, right? Your homes are embassies of another kingdom. You understand the power of an embassy? An embassy is, is, is ground wherever you are, wherever an embassy is, the, the, the laws of their home kingdom apply in that place. You guys are an embassy. And you have the power of the king himself, and he says, be my witnesses. Go rebuild the broken places. Go call people home. Go speak life in the name of the king. Here, go speak life. It's like, he, it's like you just gave us a blank check to go speak life and spread joy. We, like, we don't, have the, we don't have a limit on that. Here, yeah, just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless them in my name. Do it, do it. Like, you don't even have to ask, should we bless these people? Yeah, 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 go ahead, go for it. You know, like, you got a blank check. He gave you the kingdom credit card to bless. That's where we are. And this, this is the joy of being someone in the kingdom of God. You don't have to get bogged down in all of the other stuff, in all the other competing kingdom visions, you guys. Because he's offered us incredible joy and incredible promises. In the year 1865, the Civil War ended. And two years before then, President Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation. But in 1865, there was an army that marched south through Texas after the devastation of the war. Army of 2,000 men. 
and they came to Galveston, Texas, which is right on the Gulf of Mexico. So just about as far south as you can go uh, in, in Texas. And this general, when he got there, was aghast. Do you know why he was aghast? Because a whole bunch of slaves that were still serving their masters. You know why? Because they hadn't heard that they were free. So he comes in and they announce, hey, you're free. Slave masters, you got to let them go home. They are free. And that became the celebration that's known today as Juneteenth. It's, it's a celebration that, that the days of slavery are over. Do I need to spell out this metaphor for you guys? Or are you with me? <laughs> you see, we have that message. The world has long been under the power of the evil one, but that grip is broken. The king has come. The gospel of the kingdom of God is the only hope for mankind because we have the vision to tell the world, you are free. You do not need to follow the evil one anymore. And all the things that were stolen from you, we're here to take it back. That's where we are, you guys. That is the power of kingdom uh, ambassadorship. And that's what each and every one of us has. Do you see why this is really, really incredible news? So I want to tell you guys, be creative in your authority. Be creative. Be free in your authority. We've had people that have come to us before in this church and said, I have this idea to do this thing, but I don't know if we're allowed. Like, yeah, like what? Well, I wanted to take this missions trip like down, down to Central America. Is that okay? <laughs> like, is that okay? What are you talking about? That's incredible. Yeah, go. Like, that's amazing. Do it, right? Or I have this really, I'm not sure if we need to ask, but I have this idea to do this thing. Here's what I want to tell you. We want to back you guys up. Like, we, we want to we be here and serve in all kinds of different ways. And if you have ideas to go and bless people, man, yes, that is what we want. Because you are, key, you are strategically positioned in the community to bring that message of hope and to rebuild the broken places that you see and that we don't see. See, it doesn't have to be centralized in this pulpit. In fact, may it not be that way. We have some things that we do together as a big group. You know, the kingdom of God isn't about waiting for somebody up during a sermon to lead some big charge somewhere. No, no. It's about God's people really loving, really loving, and really giving hope wherever they go. You guys carry the hope of Jesus because you carry the spirit of Jesus.